Welcome to Without Fail. I'm your host, Alex Bloomberg. This is a show where I talk to entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures and what they learned from both. And we're back with the second part of my conversation with Andrew Mason, the founder of Groupon. And if you haven't heard the first part, it might make sense to go and listen to that one first. Or if you're like, I don't care about your chronology, Mr. Tied to the Time-Space Continuum, I'll listen to part two first. That's fine too. You do you. Anyway, we pick up this second part of the interview at the end of year two of Groupon's existence. The company had gone from an idea to a worldwide phenomenon with thousands of employees, hundreds of millions in monthly revenue. And Andrew had gone from a grad student who wasn't sure what he wanted to do with his life to a world-famous CEO. That is where we'll pick up the second half of this conversation with Andrew Mason. One quick warning, there is some strong language in this episode. There, there was a period for, for Groupon where we, um, we almost sold the company. And it started uh, with an offer from Yahoo. Groupon was going gangbusters at this time. Like the thing was growing like crazy. It seemed like there was no end in sight. So two years Top after line, you launched the company. Yeah, we were doing over a billion dollars top line. Okay, and uh, and and just growing super fast, and uh-huh. it was just this rocket ship ride. And then all of a sudden, we get we have to contend with this. Oh, Yahoo wants to buy you, uh-huh. and to me, that was just the least attractive idea in the world. And I wasn't. I mean, uh, I was thinking about wanting to build a company that was going to live on for generations and. <laughs> be an American treasure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got this offer. I wanted nothing to do with it, in part because the company was going well. Um, and I think the offer was something, it started out something in the order of two or three billion. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, like, I think we thought that it could be a bigger business at the time, but there mm-hmm. was something safe about just getting how, up. How much did the money play into it? Like you, you became phenomenally wealthy and like had chance for like bigger and bigger wealth like what how much did you think about that for me you know i asked you know when i got when, when the company was big enough i got a financial advisor and i said hey what's the amount of money that i need to make that i don't need to think about money anymore and he said 15 million dollars or something like that and so uh-huh. as long as i was that's kind of what i always thought i was like well as long as i'm north of that then who cares? Right. In terms of that being, yeah, like how much money about it personally? How much money do I personally need? And like once you've cleared fifteen, which is an extraordinary sum for anybody, and I'm sure yeah. for you as well, mm-hmm. you were like, okay, anything beyond that, it doesn't really matter. It was yeah, it was no. Lo- so once I got beyond that, when I was thinking about do I do it or do I not do it? I mean, I was thinking about the value of the company and creating shareholder value and mm-hmm. all that stuff for sure, but it was never getting back to how is this going to affect my personal wealth? Right. And it just, it was just not an inspiring idea. But we had to consider it and take it seriously. The board wanted to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. The head of corp dev from Yahoo came to Chicago and met with us. And I went to meet with him. I went out to dinner with him. And I remember just being so depressed about going to this dinner and meeting with this corp dev guy. And... um I had been vegetarian at that point for about 10 years. Uh-huh. And without even thinking about it, it came time to order. And 
I was like, I'll have a steak. Because I felt at that, that is like the moment where my principles, I just stopped having principles. There was actually a moment. <laughs> and, and, and what did selling to Yahoo represent exactly? Um, it re- really what it represented, I, I mean, I just looked at these other companies and it was just kind of this graveyard for, um, for cool companies. Um, yeah. So that's what we were, that's what we were afraid of. I just didn't want the, I, I wanted the thing to be successful and as big as we wanted it to be. Right. And with that, this being my first time, all I saw were all of those examples of that not being the case. Right. And, and being afraid that that would happen to us. It's interesting because I think I, I'm filtering everything through because I'm a selfish bastard like we all are. I'm filtering everything you're saying through my own experience. And uh, like there's, you start out with this idea of like, here's what we're going to do. And it's the sort of this grand plan. And then that idea meets the market. And the market wants things that you don't want. I want I want to be true to some vision that I have, but at the same time, I want to grow the company and be really successful. And and it and it, it's this constant tension between like you you can't just be like I will be true to my you know inner inner value system entirely. Mm. But then there's this period where it feels like okay, now I'm just gonna like fuck it. I've become a hack. I've, I'm a whore to the market essentially. Yeah. And it sounds like. This was this sort of like that moment for you where you were sort of like, if we sell to Yahoo, that's, that's, I've like just gone to the dark side. Yeah. The, the process of growing a, a company is kind of like a process of having principles methodically beaten out of you. <laughs> oh, God. You know, the, the 18 year old version of myself um, was listening to Fugazi. <laughs> And uh, and uh, really had strong opinions about the way that the world was supposed to be and the way the world was not supposed to be, and everything becomes a lot more gray once you actually go through an experience like this. And it's actually the that nuanced understanding of the world is the most beautiful thing that, I, as a human being, I took away from my Groupon experience is just realizing how. Little can be explained by, for example, people or organizations being evil, crazy, or stupid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this Yahoo meeting with this corp dev guy was one of these moments where I was just like, well, if I'm going to sell to Yahoo, I'm going to do it eating steak. Like I, this is it, you know. <laughs> if I'm going to sell to Yahoo, like what's the point in having values God. or believing in things? <laughs> So you get the offer from Yahoo, you yeah. you eat your steak. What happened? Okay, so while the Yahoo thing was happening, we reached out to Google and said, "Hey, we have an offer from uh from from Yahoo. Um are you guys interested?" Mm-hmm. And then we started talking to them and we got very close. Um but then what was happening is we were literally at the peak of our of our hypergrowth where um, when it came time for the, the board to meet and discuss it, um, we looked at um, we looked at our numbers and we were just growing faster than ever. And we looked at the offer we were getting from Google and Google seemed like it could have been a great home in a lot of ways, but we just felt like it was 
fun to do a independent company and we thought we could make more money doing it that way. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, the coupon site Groupon turned down a multi-billion dollar buyout offer from Google. Now, new documents... You're not going to be acquired by Google. You're going to become Google, essentially. You're going to become something similar. Yeah, yeah. Like, we we saw ourselves as, as you know, reaching that upper... Try, wanting to reach that upper echelon of technology companies and, and turn into something that was one of the internet treasures, as our COO was, was fond of saying. After this break, what turning down a $5 billion offer has to do with yoga balls? That's after these words from our sponsors. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Groupon founder Andrew Mason. At this point in our conversation, Andrew and his team have just decided to say no to a multi-billion dollar acquisition offer from Google. It's interesting to me at this point, four years away from music major, public policy nerd. Mm -hmm. And I, I would imagine that the music major, public policy nerd, if somebody had said, hey, I'm gonna... You you one day are going to turn down a what was it six billion dollars or something? Yeah, six five closer to five. Yeah, five billion dollar offer to acquire this company that you haven't started yet. That that music major would have been like, no, I'm not, <laughs> right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you think about that at the time? Like I'm turning down. That's so. That's such a huge path to travel in four short years. It's pretty quick. Yeah. When we were making the decision, it was me and the board and. Um, many people on the board were investors. That's why they were members of the board. Right. And we were sitting in a room talking about, do we do it? Do we not do it? And I remember making what I thought was a very good point, which is to say, well, look, guys, like here we are. They're offering about $5 billion. What's the worst case here? Let's say we turn it down, we keep going, and the company tanks it and ends up being worth a billion dollars. That's still like, we're still going to make a lot of money based off of that like uh-huh. that's still great <laughs> right? right yes <laughs> you were using... and they kind of like shook their head and were like andrew that's not the way that this works i remember that's what he said that's not the way that this works <laughs> um okay so you passed um did you how did you feel about that decision great yeah i mean it was it was a hard decision but um but it was energizing to decide to um, cast these guys off and just decide to go at that we were in it to win it and and go at it alone. And then um, what happened? We had a um, like there had been all these rumors in the press and nobody in the company knew what was going on. We had we had our kind of annual end of the year all hands meeting where everybody in Chicago, you know, like five hundred or more people, 
are all in, in the in, in a theater and and we give our all hands presentation and everybody from all the other offices are dialing in. Mm-hmm. So we thought we were going to be acquired by Google and we thought we were going to announce it at this all hands meeting. Mm-hmm. So what we ended up doing was we bought 500 uh, like big, huge yoga balls that we were going to give to all the employees on the day as if it was a gift from Google. Uh-huh. Because Google like had this reputation as being this place where they had yoga balls. Right. <laughs> it was basically like what we knew about Google. <laughs> um, and so uh, we had all these huge yoga balls and nothing to do with them and, and because we weren't selling the company. So all hands, I came up on stage and I said, hey guys, um, I have some really exciting news. We've been acquired by Yahoo and here's Yahoo's CEO, Carol Bartz. And then we hired an actor to play Carol Bartz and she was far enough away that nobody could really tell. And she comes out on stage and people are kind of like clapping in a semi-shocked way. And she goes, she had a reputation for swearing a lot. So this actress goes, what's up, fucktards? Really excited to have you as part of the team. I'm going to get some pizzas. I can fit four. Who's with me? And then she walked off stage. <laughs> and uh, and then I came back on. I was like, just kidding. Um, but And we had to figure out what to do with these yoga balls. And so we said, hey, we have a gift from, uh, from, from Salesforce uh, because... We're, we're a big Salesforce customer, and they sent us a Christmas gift. And we played this video of Aaron on our team mm-hmm. um, dressed up as a fake CEO of, uh, of Salesforce. And he sings this, Salesforce balls, Salesforce balls, everybody get your Salesforce balls. And it lasted 20 minutes. It was this 20-minute song of him singing that while we passed out these giant yoga balls <laughs> to everybody in the auditorium. And then, uh, and then that was it. I don't know why we did that. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh, so God. funny. That is so funny. What did people re- did and in this meeting with the balls, yeah. you're telling did you also say like by the way we're not going to get acquired and we're, yes. we're we're shooting for the moon. Yeah, we're shooting for the moon. And the board who was happy who was like okay, we're not going to get acquired. I'm looking at these numbers. This looks great, but but we've got to go public. Mhm. And because the just remaining a gigantic private company seemed impossible. You have to go public at some point. To and get the shareholders paid back. Yeah, exactly. Like the way that we were structured and the way that we had raised money, we were just engineered in a way that that was the, if, if we weren't going to get acquired, that was the only exit option for us. Yeah. How long was it before you eventually did go public? So we passed on Google in December of 2010, and we went public in October of 2011. Oh, wow. So just a year later. Yeah. Okay. What did it feel like to finally go public? Did it feel any kind of way? Was it like a... Yeah. Like going going public, I, I think we... When, when you go public, there's 90 days during which you're pretty limited from being able to say much about the company or defend the company in any way publicly. And, um, and, uh, and that was like this crazy hazing for us. Mm-hmm. Before then, we were the darlings of the internet. There had been very little negative press about, about Groupon, um, and everything was just going swimmingly. Mm-hmm. And then we entered this quiet period, and we just got hammered. What 
raised eyebrows were the accounting tricks that made their huge marketing costs disappear on paper. Groupon, they're basically reporting twice the amount of revenue that they should be. Stock will drop because it's a scam. I mean, you know, they're playing every game in the book over here, and I'm disappointed. You say Groupon looks like a hit and run. What do you mean? It's, a, it's going to be a circus. I mean, I think we're dealing with instant art history. Here's a company that's, you know, a year and a half, two years old. It hasn't been around long enough to be seasoned. And um, and the quiet period does this weird thing where it trains you on how to just suck it up and not respond when people are being critical. So that quiet period was really difficult to the point that when we went public, um, I just I remember just being like bitter and mad. Like there'd be. Um, there was there was press there in New York, uh, and uh, like trying to interview us, and I would just ignore them and just wanted nothing to do right with those people. And um, it was like this situation where it had turned the overall tenor had turned from this like intense but wonderful um, ride to this kind of like embattled, highly stressful fight mm -hmm. and how did that manifest in the way you felt about the company and ran the company well it became a it became a huge d distraction so i mean the problem if you're going to be a public company you have to be able to accurately I just I also like want to make it clear that I totally take responsibility for everything that happened. So none of this is meant to be passing the buck in any way. Like I'm the one that made all these decisions, so it's totally it's totally on me. We were we were dealing with so much criticism. For worst CEO of 2012, Mr. G, who is this year's winner is the most obvious, Andrew Mason of Groupon, an overhyped IPO that was questioned yesterday. Groupon stock took another dip in early trading this morning. Questions have persisted about the company, about its business model and the staying power of that tech sector. Like the the guidance that you get from people who have taken companies public is they'll say, oh, you just ignore it, ignore the stock price, blah, right. blah, blah. Well, you can ignore the stock price all you want. Your employees are going to be paying a ton of attention to the stop price. Right. They're going to be paying attention to all the press. So even if you're not reading it, right. they are, and it's going to affect their morale. It's going to affect whether they decide to stay at the company or leave the company. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you can just ignore. Right. So it got to a situation very quickly where me and my executive team, like 50% of our time was spent doing things that had nothing to do with building a great company. And they had everything to do with managing things that were just unique to the situation, to this one decision mm -hmm. or fallout of this one decision to go public. Mm -hmm. And and we weren't ready for it. And it and it just became chaos and caught up with us in a way that we weren't fully expecting. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that went on for a couple of quarters. And then um and then I got fired in uh the beginning of 2013. After the break what it's like to be the CEO of the fastest growing company in history and get fired. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's Accelerated Degree Programs. Our six- and eight-week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in business administration. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Groupon founder Andrew Mason. How did you get fired? So a couple members of the board had been agitating to get me replaced in like October or so 2012. And I didn't want to go. We had a board meeting for our kind of like a Q, you know, end of Q3 board meeting in October or so. And the board decided, okay, Andrew, you get, you get one more chance here. Like deliver a great Q4. Um, and let's take it from there, but we still believe in you. Two weeks later, we, me and my CFO were in Barcelona meeting with some investors. When we get a call from our controller in France that they had forgotten to um, accrue a profit-sharing tax, and we just lost $10 million. So that was it. Like, we missed our numbers. Like we found out two weeks later, it had nothing to do. We, we had tried to set very conservative guidance yeah. that we would be able to crush and uh-huh. really come out the other side good, but but that was the end. And at that point, um, I called the executive recruiter that we had worked with and I said, hey, like, how can we... I wanted to try to recruit a great CEO. Uh-huh. Um, and... Because you wanted, knew at that point that I was not going to survive, right? right? So, so, so I talked to this executive recruiter about starting a process. hadn't wasn't talking to the board about any of this, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and uh, and I came to the board meeting with this plan in place, saying we're going to hire this CEO. When he comes in, I'll step aside, very peacefully. And they're like, "No, we got to let you go today." It was just me and. Two, two board members who are were friendly, nice people, and so on. The mm-hmm. two board members told me, no, we got to let you go today, and we're going to put in these other two board members as co-CEOs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like that was the right decision. I said, if you guys want to make that decision, you can, um, but you'll have to fire me. And they said, don't make us fire you. You know, step aside and... Um, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life if you make us fire you. Just step aside, you know, say that blah, 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 whatever people typically say. And I said, no, because it's not true. Because if this is the decision you're going to make, you have to fire me. And I don't want to, I don't want to have a story out there that's not believable or, or, or not true. So that's what happened. What were all the feelings at when they said you're fired? Was Give me the range of feeling. What was the primary feeling? What were the sort of underlying feelings? I was sad. I was crying. I remember I was crying, but um, uh, out of anger, 
out of sadness? I mean, it had just been nonstop for however long that had been, five or six years. It had just been nonstop. And uh, and it was all, it was over, right? At that point, it was over. Uh-huh. And I was worried about the company. I was worried about my team. I was just worried about what, I was worried about what would happen. But I think it was just like, you know, a, in some ways a catharsis too. Um, it wasn't, you know, when, once the company was public, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I'm much happier now that I'm not there. That said, if I was ported back today into that same decision or that same moment and they said, do you want to give it another shot or do you want to do it another way? I would have kept going just out of a sense of responsibility to the company. Mm-hmm. One of the things, like when I first met you, full disclosure, you're an early investor in Kimla Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, when I first met you, um, one of the things that everybody said about you is like, oh, you have to read his um, I Got Fired letter. <laughs> can I just ask you for people who haven't read it, can, can you just read the first paragraph of it? Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. After four and a half intense and wonderful years as CEO of Groupon, I've decided that I'd like to spend more time with my family. Just kidding, I was fired today. If you're wondering why, you haven't been paying attention. From controversial metrics in our S1 to material weakness to two quarters of missing our own expectations and a stock price that's hovering around one quarter of our listing price, the events of the last year and a half speak for themselves. As CEO, I am accountable. Um, it's very funny. It's very honest. It doesn't, it doesn't sound defensive at all. Like it takes very full, like it sounds like you're fully owning the performance of the company. Yeah. Um, but it also is so interesting because it's like one of those times where it's sort of the, it strikes me as the opposite of the, of the Yahoo dinner. Let's say more. There was an opportunity to, like you, you were like, no, I'm not going to, you, you took a stand on principle which is like, I'm going to make you guys fire me. I guess I, I don't totally see it that way. The, to, me, to me, the alternative of getting fired, like I just would watch these CEOs resign in tumult where everybody knew they were fired and yet they still felt the need to put up this facade as if they were, it was their own choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did, didn't want to live with that for the rest of my life. You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to have to introduce myself to someone and and have them know that they're thinking that I'm this liar. We both have to believe this lie, right? Yeah, exactly. So I just wanted to I just wanted to get it out there. So they said that if you if you make them fire you, you will regret it for the rest of your life. Was that correct? No, no. <laughs> the opposite. It sounds no. like it's the opposite. Like yeah. you're happy about this letter. I'm happy about it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm happy that it's like the thing that I'm best known for, <laughs> or like the. I wouldn't say it's the thing you're best known for, but yeah, yeah. Like people will meet me and they're like, "I loved your letter" or whatever. <laughs> I it's loved like your, I, thing. I wish people were more like, "I love that you, you know, built this great company." And, yeah. 
There's um you you wrote in in the third paragraph. I'm okay with having failed at this part of the journey. I'm terribly proud of what we created. And you said if Groupon was Battletoads, it would be like I made it all the way to the Terra Tubes without dying on my first ever playthrough. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Have you played Battletoads? No. It's a Nintendo game that it's hard. So I mean the hard point, like taking a company public is hard. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the point I was making there is like, look, I feel. I feel okay with this. I don't, I, I don't know what the end is that everybody else is expecting or mm-hmm. what success looks like that you're ultimately like deified and you, and you, right. you rise in, into, into CEO heaven. Right. But for me, like this is more than I ever expected. It was a, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good run. And I, and I, and I'm, I'm proud of a lot of what we did. There's one other part of this letter. It says, my biggest regrets are the moments that I let a lack of data override my intuition on what's best for our customers. What, what did you mean by that? Um, you know, Groupon kind of, we, we started out with these really tight principles about how the site was going to work and um, really being pro-customer and and as we expanded and as we went after growth, at various points, people in the company would say, hey, why don't we try running two deals a day? Why don't we try sending two emails a day? And I'd think, um, that sounds awful. Like, who wants that? Who wants to get two emails every single day from a company? Right. Um, and they'd be like, well, sure, it sounds awful to you, but we're a data-driven company. Why don't we let the data decide? Why don't we do a test? And at some point, I'd get worn down to this argument of, okay, yes, if we're a data-driven company, then we should go ahead and we should do a test. And if mm-hmm. it's true, then the data will will speak for itself. And we'd do a test, and it would show that in this example, um, maybe people would unsubscribe at a slightly higher rate, but the increase in purchasing would more than make up for it. And you'd get in a situation where it's like, okay, I guess we can do this. It doesn't feel doesn't feel right, but um, it does seem like a rational decision, right? And of course, the problem was, you know, when you're when you're growing, when you're in hyper growth like this, a lot of times you don't have time to see what is going to happen to the data in the long term. The churn would would catch up with you, and and people would people would unsubscribe and. At and, higher and, rates than yeah, your test and then, shown. and then, you know, before you know it, the service has just turned into something. You know, if you look at Groupon now, it's just this kind of um, vestige of, of what it once was. There's, there's no real copywriting. It's a marketplace of coupons. You know, it's, um, I mean, it's still a service that a lot of people get a lot of value out of, but it doesn't have the spirit that it, that it once did and I think was maybe had something to do with the uh, with the success that we had early on and uh and and so i just feel like those decisions it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts where there's certain things you have to be religious about in a company you have mm-hmm. to just say that's what i've taken away from that is there's some things where it's like i'm sorry i'm not going to look at the data on that i'm sorry this is just what we're going to do and we know that it's we know that it's right, and there's nothing that's going to shake us from that. So let's that that's kind of where it is. See, okay, that I, I hear you saying that, and then I'm just like every part of me is like yes, 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 because 
my entire life up until starting this company, like I, for most of my life, I was like making stories, right? Yeah. Like I was a journalist and I was like a creative professional, I guess, for lack of a better word. And every decision was based on my gut, basically. It was like aesthetic decisions. And then I'd play it for people and they'd be like, I think this is, and then you'd sort of like, you'd, you'd negotiate that. But it wasn't like everything that I was doing was based on sort of like an internal compass of like what feels right. And then you get to this thing where like you're trying to like make stuff for lots of people, maybe who don't feel the same way about things that you do or maybe have different preferences than you do. And I got very confused about like, how much or how little I should listen to that. And, like, also, like, sometimes your gut leads you astray. Sometimes, like, you, your gut is, like, a collection of blind spots, you know? So that's just, like, I don't know when, when do you trust your gut and when, if you've got a bunch of people saying, like, your gut is wrong and I have a different gut, like, when do you believe those people? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What's the answer, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, I wish there was an answer. I'm 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 mostly just listening to you talk and thinking, man, I'm glad to not be doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> These days, Andrew is still doing some of that. He's still a CEO, just of a much smaller company, 10 people. It's called Descript, and it makes software that describes and edits spoken word audio. Next episode of Without Fail, Sophia Amoruso, founder of Girlboss and Nasty Gal, a company she started by herself and grew into a 300-person retail empire valued at over $350 million until it all fell apart. I wrote this book, Girl Boss, and I put myself on the cover in 2014, and I was like, yeah, I did it. And then, like, by the end of that year, like, we had started laying people off, and it was just like, oh, my God, what is this? That's next episode of Without Fail. Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Sarah Platt. It is edited by Devin Taylor, Nazneen Rafsanjani, and me. Special thanks to Ben Bergman. This episode was mixed by Peter Leonard. Music, that sweet music, by Bobby Lord. If you haven't already, subscribe to Without Fail on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave us a review. It really does help. And if you like this, tell your friends about it. Sign them up even. Sharing is caring. Thanks for listening. <laughs>